Good morning. Today's reading is from Romans 12, 9 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's go ahead and pray together. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that you have spoken. Continue to speak. May we have the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and may we be the church you've called us to be. We cannot do this without the work of your spirit present among us, within us, both individually and collectively. And so we hold fast to your promise of your spirit's work, and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. What is more lethal than smoking 15 cigarettes a day and an outstanding lifestyle of obesity? It's something that we've all experienced. It's way too common in your life and mine. The answer is loneliness. You know, there was an interesting article um, earlier this month in the New York Times uh, where the columnist Nicholas Kristof writes in a particular op-ed piece. And this is what he writes. He says, loneliness increases inflammation, heart disease, dementia, and death rates, researchers say, but it also simply makes us heartsick and leaves us inhabiting an Edward Munch canvas. Edward Munch is a famous artist. Um, one of his most famous paintings is The Scream, if you've heard of it. You know, it's this character on a bridge, you know, with his mouth open, kind of ghost-like, and it's meant to depict the angst of the modern human. Public health experts in many countries are debating how to address a loneliness epidemic that corrodes modern life, but Britain has taken the lead. Last year, it appointed a minister of loneliness. Interestingly enough, there's another article that came out in The Atlantic which highlighted that loneliness is Instagram's hottest trend, you know? Fascinating. And, and people across disciplines, across disciplines, are ringing the alarm bells in Western culture that loneliness is taking over. And I think simultaneously what is so alarming amidst that is that for us as a culture, as we become more and more lonely, more and more people are not knocking on the door of the church to find relief. Because you would think, you would think that we, we ought to be better <laughs> at this, better at navigating loneliness. But are we? I know as a matter of fact that some of you, because I've had conversations with you, are here at this church because you were at another church or had another experience where you felt like you didn't belong, that you didn't feel welcome. You have scars, you have wounds when it comes to the church community. I also know that for some here, 
If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're exploring the Christian faith, one of your biggest hang-ups is with the church because the church ought to be better. Now, interestingly enough, Andy Crouch, um, he's a former executive editor of Christianity Today and author of books like The TechWise Family. He was here at Christ Community a few years ago, and he said something that kind of stopped me in my tracks. He said, the church is one of the last places that humanizes people. And I sat in that, and it, and it struck me because I thought to myself, yes, that sounds very much in line with Jesus' mission, with his design for the church. That's the kind of church I want to be. I want, I want to be a part of a church that actually seeks to humanize each other, seeks to humanize those who are outside of these walls. I want to seek to be a church that pursues flourishing here and across our city. In other words, in short, I want to be a church that loves like Jesus. And I know, here's the deal, when you say something like that, it kind of rings a bit cheesy, right? I want to love like Jesus. Like how many churches have said that? And here's, here's the difficulty. What kind of world have we created where even if you're honest with yourself, there's this little tinge within you that when you hear love like Jesus loves, it has like a cheesy ring to it. What kind of culture have we cultivated? And maybe for some of us here, Actually, when you hear we want to love like Jesus, there are alarm bells ringing for different reasons because you've seen some churches who quote-unquote take this ambiguous love of Jesus and have gone astray theologically or have done some really wonky practices all in the quote-unquote name of Jesus' love. So, so for us, what the world needs, what we need here as a church is to rediscover what love means and what it means for us as Christ's community church, a place that longs to humanize others. And to do that, we're going to go to Romans chapter 12. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wait, 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 Gabe. <laughs> we were in Revelation. We're switching ours, okay? We're going to Romans. We were in Revelation looking at seven messages to seven churches in the first century from the resurrected Jesus through the apostle John. Next week, we're going to begin Advent and begin our journey through the gospel account of Luke. But we're going to spend one more week, one more week. We've looked at seven churches in seven different contexts across the first century uh, Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey. And today we're going to zero in on Kansas City. As pastors and elders, we felt like we needed one more week to kind of zero in on where we felt like God was calling us to go deeper. And for that, we're going to look and felt like Romans chapter 12 that the Spirit of God was guiding us to speak from here as a word for us in this context, in this time, in this day. As the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, these very words, we felt like they were extraordinarily pertinent for us in Kansas City today. Now, if there's one thing that I want you to take away from us this morning, this time together as we walk through Romans 12, it's this. And this is going to be kind of the, the thing we're going to hang our hat on our whole time together. We believe, as we feel called to be lights in the midst of a dark world, we believe our world is desperate for what the church ought to be best at. Our world is desperate for what the church ought to be best at. And what is the one thing that Jesus, like he goes to say, hey, I'm going to identify my people this way. Out of all the things you could say, when you go to John 13, 35, Jesus says what? 
All people will know you are my disciples if you love. Yeah, come on, let's try it again. If you love. There you go. Love one another. Love. Our world is desperate. Our world is desperate for what the church ought to be best at. And frankly, it's something we long, we all long to be a church that's like that, don't we? We want to be a part of a church that's really cracked the code, who's really got this down, not just in idea, but actually in practice. And it's core to even our mission. Our mission at Christ Community is that we desire to be a caring family, multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. This caring family piece is crucial. You can't multiply healthy disciples without a caring family. You can't seek to influence our community and world with the life of Jesus if we have not begun to exude the love of Jesus gathered together. But here's the deal. To be that kind of community, it takes a lot of work. And so today we're going to look at four actions. It's not the sum total on what it looks like to become a loving church or to continue to cultivate a loving church. We're going to look at four particular actions that will cultivate us as a church gathered, as a people in the name of Jesus, seeking to be a place that combats loneliness, one of the greatest epidemics in our particular time in the Western world. And these four actions, just so nobody's surprised, and if you like to take notes, this might help you. These four actions are love struggles, it serves, it prays, and it gives. And we're going to unpack why these are so crucial, okay? So Romans chapter 12, the first one we're going to look at is that love, love struggles. I feel like in the midst of this epidemic of loneliness, there's also this deep desire for a remedy to that. And the remedy we often think is easy love. I just want romance or I want a, a friendship where someone just affirms where I am, who I am, that says the warm, fuzzy things I need to hear, want to hear. And if I have to, you know, reach out more than twice, if I have to actually do a little bit of work in the relationship, if you're having a tough time or you say something that I don't like, then I'm going to ghost you. And if you're not up on that lingo, that just means I'm going to disappear and never show up again. And you're going to have no idea why I felt like I needed to disappear. Love, it's not easy. It struggles. And this struggle often resides in one really crucial space. It's where vulnerability meets commitment. Vulnerability meets commitment. Look with me here. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let love be genuine. Literally, it is love without hypocrisy. Show your true colors. Be vulnerable. Be real. This language or this word hypocrite was a professional title for actors in the ancient world who could put on a facade and play a part and you would never know the real them, but you would know the part they would want you to know about them. And the Apostle Paul, driven by the design of Jesus about the local church, says, not here. Interestingly enough, this just came out this morning in the New York Times. Have you heard about how Google is trying to combat deep faking? Have you seen anything about this? 
I think that, yeah, look at this. So it's fascinating. They, they filmed these series of individuals in similar contexts, and what they did is they mashed up their traits, and so you have no idea who these people are, and this has become something that many companies are really concerned about, is you have a facade of a human being that actually doesn't exist selling you products or communicating messages that do not reflect reality. And so many of us try to do that with our lives. We go about this deep faking. And I know because so many of you have told me that when you come into church and you see people smiling and we do the handshake and you're like, how was your day? It's amazing, right? Like you don't want to, you feel uncomfortable and actually, frankly, a little bit overwhelmed to, to be honest with, hey, guess what? Today's a bad day. Like I went into the mechanic because my car's been having some stuff. I went into the mechanic and I lit on, on Wednesday and I was like, how are you doing? He's like, it's a bad day. And I was like, hey. <laughs> That was very real. What is going on? I was like, well, I am really sorry. Thanks for being honest. I don't think he cared that I said thank you. But, but what if we did that in the church? Some of us are terrified that if we did that, if we really were vulnerable and just were like, hey, today's a bad day, somebody would be like, okay, this was not what I was asking for. And if we actually were real, people would be overwhelmed, start to skirt their relationships away from us. And if they start to realize some of the things that we're wrestling through, their regret having gotten to know us in the first place. And we just can't deal with that rejection because we feel like we're rejected everywhere else. And so we put on this facade of happy Christian living. When we're wrestling, not here. We got to let love be genuine if we want to combat loneliness. Because listen, if, you, if you're fully accepted, but all you've done is put up a facade, even when you're accepted, you feel utterly alone because no one knows you. But this is why it's not just let love be vulnerable, okay? In the same breath, the Apostle Paul couples vulnerability with commitment, right? Look there again, verse Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. In other words, love each other like your family. You don't get to choose your family. This is the nature of the gospel. God's like, you're adopted, you're adopted, you're adopted, and you're mine. And you're like, I don't know if I want to be connected to this person. I don't care. You're stuck with them. We're part of this really robust family that we don't really get a choice, but we got to love. But here's what you do have a choice. You can have a choice on who you will be when you're with your family. Let love be genuine. Be vulnerable, but it has to be coupled with commitment. And commitment says this. Listen, listen, I see your warts. I see all the messy stuff in your life, where you've been, what you've come out of, what you're still wrestling in, where you feel like you're drowning, and I'm committed to you, heart and soul. That is what it means to love with that brotherly affection, that family-like love. And when you have that, when you have commitment with vulnerability, then you can have these healthy boundaries to go in ways in which you never thought you could go. You can now start to understand, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. You can see evil in the people that you're committed to that are expressing vulnerability and you can chase that evil out. You can chase down what's best for them in ways that you never could without that commitment and without that vulnerability. It gives us unbelievable freedom to have a depth of relationship that our heart is deeply longing for you see love is active it isn't passive 
It will not tolerate sin. It will not ignore brokenness. It will not turn a blind eye to destructive behavior. But it chooses to seek out because you have commitment and now you have vulnerability and you have these healthy boundaries within this deep relationship. You can pursue each other's good in ways in which you never thought you possibly could. And so for us as a church, we want to be committed to being here regularly. You see, when you talk about commitment, commitment is shown up in regular engagement. Sporadic engagement is a surefire way to set up shallow relationships which will make you frustrated at the church because you feel like, oh my goodness, why can't I cultivate a deep relationship? Because you're not being consistent. Emotional pacing takes time, commitment, and consistency to build relationships of vulnerability. So first, we're going to commit to be here on a regular basis. And then secondly, we're going to commit to not fake it. This is why I, I seek to be transparent about my own vulnerabilities and areas of weakness. It makes the sermons longer because sometimes I get carried away. It's a weakness. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but in seriousness, because I want, that's the kind of church community I want to be a part of. And I want us to be a part of. We want us to be a place where no one has to hide. And so we're not going to hide as pastors, as leaders. But even in the midst of that, you're going to be disappointed with me. You're going to be disappointed with Ben, with Henry, with Brandy, with Jessica, with Kelly, with Sean. With you're going to be disappointed with us. And frankly, you're going to be disappointed with one another because that's what it looks like to be in relationship with other human beings who have different expectations, different family histories, different personalities, and so on. And frankly, if you don't have anybody in this community who annoys you, you're probably not engaged enough. <laughs> or you're the annoying one. Like that's, <clears throat> that's the way it goes, right? I mean, that's what it means to do life with people because we're all just a little bit messy. And it takes vulnerability to say it's okay. Commitment that no matter what comes up, I'm in this with you. I'm not going to ghost you. And healthy boundaries to pursue evil when it's confronted. And chase the good always. Like that's a crucial aspect. With commitment and presence and making margin to be present. That's how we first start stepping into fighting loneliness. Love is a struggle, or, and you can choose that, or you will have enduring loneliness. Which will you choose? Number two, not only is love a struggle, love serves, right? Love serves. Love finds a way to give itself away, which is why we get down to verse 11, and it, we read, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. In other words, hey, don't have this lazy kind of superficial love. But get on fire about your love and prove that it's real by serving. And here's the deal. It says serve the Lord. But across scripture, our service of the Lord is always interconnected to our horizontal service to one another. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Interconnected. When you're serving one another, you're serving the Lord. And when you're serving the Lord, it will be fleshed out in how you serve one another. Now, here's the deal. Every single one of us has a bit of a default in life. When you're in default position, you're not thinking, you're not feeling, 
You're basically on cruise and you're just going. The reason that's so dangerous is the default for most of us is to be served. Waiting for someone else to text me first because I've texted them three times. You know, waiting for them to show up during stand and greet, waiting for someone else to come and talk to me. <laughs> it's this posture of waiting for someone else to take the first move. Now, for others of us, and this is more where I fall in the camp, you, you overserve because you want a claim or you want a better reputation or you're trying to find acceptance. But here's the deal. In either one of those defaults, it centers in on a big old M-E. It's me. I'm trying to make me feel better. The other option to this default is design. Because if you lean into that default, it will lead you down a lonely path. But there is a way to design things a little bit differently. And I want to encourage you. Listen, I know we're in November heading into Thanksgiving, but it's time to start thinking about 2020. All right? So get out that calendar. Think about your schedules before you start planning an overabundance of meetings in January. Because some of you, you know how that is because that's my story right now. It's like, when do you want to meet? How about January 22nd? I'm like, what in the world? Here's the deal. Be intentional. Don't let the tyranny of the urgent guide you down a default of loneliness. Be intentional to now start designing your calendar, designing your schedules with God's priorities in mind. Don't you want to be able to look back on your week and see how you've cultivated meaningful relationships through acts of service and intentional engagement? It starts here. By being intentionally des in designing your calendar and your schedules. If you feel like your relationship with Jesus has gone a little stale and you're like, man, I'm just not experiencing it. My first question usually is, okay, where are you meaningfully serving? Because if it's just about these ideas of Jesus and your whole life revolves around you, then your life will still end with just you isolated. Following Jesus has to take on the practices of Jesus. And the practices of Jesus, if we follow him not just in resting in his gospel good news of what he's accomplished on the cross, but now following him in the yoke and following him, being shaped by him, it's always a life of service. Do you want to know a more intimate walk with Jesus? Do you see your space at work where you spend the majority of your time as the posture of a servant? When you're in relationships, do you see and think about ways you can serve those you're in relationship with? My mom used to always tell me, if you want a friend, you got to be a friend, right? Anybody else hear that growing up? Like if you want to fight loneliness, it takes proactivity to be the friend you want someone else to be to you. How are you navigating your life? Are you living in the default of busyness, which frankly isolates? Are you designing your calendar and your schedules in such a way that you're seeking to serve those around you? And I'll be clear, listen, that's so much bigger, right, than serving in your church. It's so much bigger. But if you're not serving in your church, your local church, that's also a good litmus test as to how you're navigating the rest of your life. Because we don't silo ourselves. And because we're gathered together, and this is a message for us together, 
I want to say and give us a charge. I want to give you a challenge. One thing that's maybe super helpful for us as a church that might cost you an extra hour every three weeks is to become what's called a, sec- a two-service person. That means you serve, let's say, in first service since we're here together. And then with our children's ministry or as a greeter or in some capacity that actually takes you out of the gathering because those needs continue to increase and will only increase as we get into the new building. And then you come to the second service to participate in the gathering together. It'll cost you about an hour extra, maybe a little bit more every couple weeks, maybe every few weeks. But that could be an avenue to serve our children and build relationships there. It could be an avenue to serve on the greeting team or when we get to our new building with a parking lot, serving with a new parking team that's starting to come down the pike. I mean, just give you a heads up. You love to talk about cars. That might be a great place for you, right? And I know some folks will say, because I've wrestled with this too, hey, Gabe, 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 that's just not my gifting. When I think about those areas you've listed, <clears throat> go, if, if you want to have a, a good read, go to the passage in John where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Did he start off by saying, hey, guys, 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 I know someone else could do this, but I'm really gifted. You should see what I can do with a pinky toe. Like, no, <laughs> no. Like his service didn't start with his gifting. It was about intimacy, even there. To which Peter says, no, I don't want you to wash my feet. And he's like, if you, can't, if you won't let me have this part of you, then you can have none of me. And he says, wash all of me. Because service is an avenue to intimacy. And someone who's really understood this deeply, and if, since you're a part of the first service crew, you know him intimately, is Andy. And I asked him for permission. Um, he didn't know at first when I asked him in this conversation. I, you know, Andy gets here super early every week. The dude is faithful beyond belief. Um, and I just asked him, I said, why do you serve so diligently and consistently? And he wrote this out for me. And I just want to read it for you because I just thought it was brilliant. He said, I serve the church. Like, well, I, he didn't know when I first asked him that I was going to read it on Sunday morning, just to be clear. He thought it was just for me because he's that guy. You know, he's just super kind. And then I asked him also. It wasn't like, <laughs> surprise. <clears throat> I serve the church because I feel that in a way God has directed me to do a job that can and will bring some kindness into someone else's life. I get a feeling of great humbleness and comfort, a service of peace, I feel happiness in my life for the first time in many years that as long as I continue to keep my faith in him, I believe that I will continue to be okay, safe, and loved. Thank you for the chance to express this to you, Andy D. We love you, Andy. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for serving. And I know, I know because I talk with you about this a lot, you've cultivated friendships with people who come in early too, that are serving. You're like, Andy, you can't do it all, right? You're just serving so much. And the way you've fostered friendships in that space because you're giving yourself away. And I know that's true of so many of you in here, both in the gathered church and the scattered church, and I'm just really, really proud to be your pastor. Keep it up. If you want to combat loneliness, it's this posture. It's this servant heart. That's a cultivation in individual relationships as well as a community. And so, Andy, we say thank you.
and I want to be more like you. Now, there are some of you here who are just visiting for the first time, and we're so glad you're here. There are others of you who've been coming for a while, and you come, you sit, and you leave, and I want you to know we're happy to serve you. But if you're not serving in your local church, I just want you to know you're missing out. Because this is an avenue to cultivate intimacy with other people and also to be shaped by Jesus in the way of Jesus. This is one facet. It's not the sum total, but it is a part, a crucial part in our self-centered world to give ourselves away in service. The other option is isolation, waiting on other people to step up for you and loneliness. Are you willing to jump in with us? Now, the third way um, that we continue to cultivate this humanizing presence and be a place that combats loneliness and understanding love more robustly is understanding that love prays, which I know sounds weird. And frankly, it sounded weird to me at first as I was wrestling through this, but I've been more convicted by this, and here's why. It takes just a couple minutes for me to watch the news or really read any article anywhere to just become overwhelmed with the polarization the levels of brokenness and destruction that we experience in our world. And when we feel overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world, a common reaction for us as human beings is to isolate ourselves. When you feel overwhelmed with your own brokenness, you want to isolate yourself. Instead, what love says is love says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to pray. Which is why we look at verse 12 together. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I remember how my mom, after my dad left, would pray. And she would pray and just weep over her Bible. And then when she would get to church, she'd get to church early and she'd get together with some other women in the church and they would be praying. And what was she praying for often? For her kids, my two older sisters and me, that in the midst of that pain... We wouldn't let go of God, and frankly, that God wouldn't let go of us. And in those moments, I mean, listen, folks, you, in, in the, the vulnerability of that, no, life wasn't always peachy. It wasn't like she was always happy, but she had a deep joy that has been a catalyst in my own faith journey. That's given me a deeper faith that what Jesus can do within us is despite our circumstances rather than in light of our circumstances. She had a hope and an endurance in the midst of trial. That was inspiring. And a large factor had to do with her constancy in prayer. She wasn't trying to do it on her own. She wasn't trying to look at everybody else. She was looking to Jesus and saying, I know who you are. You're the king of the universe. You're the one who's defeated the grave. And so I'm going to hold on to you. Even though everything else looks pretty intense right now, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to have hope in you. You're going to give me joy because one day you will wipe every tear from my eye. One day you will right all these wrongs. She understood that love prays. And when we understand that, then we understand that love is never empty-handed. Not in Jesus. Instead, we can hold on to him in prayer. In prayer, it has this, this ability. There's something fascinating about prayer in that it buoys our hope. You ever, been, you ever felt like you were just hopeless and then suddenly you start praying with someone? 
It's astounding when you just, it, when, once again, vulnerability and commitment, when you open yourself up and you say, hey, hey, I just need some prayer for this right now. And then you hear your pain being named out of another human's mouth, crying out to your king for you. And then suddenly you're in prayer praying for and naming the pain of another brother or sister in prayer before your king. And you're, where, you're asking, where does this strength come from to pray for a brother or sister in the faith when I feel like I've got nothing left to give? Not only do you start to have a cognizant, like a, a, an awareness in your mind that God is king and that you know you should have hope. There's something really powerful about how the spirit works in community and communal prayer to begin to buoy your hope. You begin to feel it. And that doesn't come in isolation. You see, you can't do that alone. And so, for some, maybe the next step is just finding a small group of people to be praying together. In the midst of this isolation. And here's the deal. If that's a barrier, we have a prayer group that gathers every Sunday morning from 8.15 to 8.45 consistently. There are four folks in there that no matter whether, it's like, they're like the postal service. It's like no matter what the weather is, they're in there delivering some mail. Like it's astounding. And if that's an avenue where you need to get plugged in, please come every Sunday, 8.15 to 8.45 a.m. An astounding moment of space of prayer to share your burdens, to pray alongside of one another, and to pray for this church. For some of you, if you're a guy, there's a group that meets every Wednesday morning in this space at 6.30 a.m. Where you pray together, where you're seeking to live out in the midst of the difficulties of life, accountability and prayer. Maybe for some of you, it's getting into a community group in January. Once again, going back to that design rather than default, making space in your calendar to do life with people. And I want to be very clear, don't romanticize that. You are not going to have a great connection. Chances are really good with someone on the first night. Here we are in a community group. Jesus brought us together. I'm going to find my best friend. Probably not. Let's just be real, right? Let's just talk about that for a second. It may not even be in the first eight weeks. It may be in the second eight weeks. As time goes along where you have begin to trust people again and they begin to trust you and in the midst of that commitment, vulnerability feels more possible. But you got to make the time. You got to be committed. And then you pray together. I tell you what, prayer is an amazing catalyst for vulnerability. Unless you were like me and you grew up and you're like, I got six unspokens, right? Like anybody else grew up in that world? You know, they want to be vulnerable, but they can't, Lord. They've got six unspokens. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, I got an unspoken about their unspoken. Like, it's just, it's weird. No, but that can be a catalyst for vulnerability. And when you hear someone else praying for you, does something deep within us. And listen, there's one group in particular, and I know this is true of other community groups. It's made up of all women. And I've just watched them care for each other, pray for each other, bring meals to each other. And the stories I hear out of that community group are that they found a family, that they're with each other, that their text chains. Every now and then I get plugged into it and I'm like, man, these women are women of faith who are crushing it. And they can't imagine doing life without each other. You see, our world is desperate for what we ought to be good at. What we ought to be best at, love. 
and love praise. It doesn't give up. It doesn't give in. Are you willing? Now, lastly, not only does love struggle, not only does it serve, not only does it pray, fourthly, love gives. And this is a bit of a given. <laughs> so let's look together at verse 13. I'm terrible at humor. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute. Literally, that means give your share. That's like back here at the Thanksgiving snack. You know, if you partake, you're meant to, you know, give. Like everybody's meant to, you know, and if you didn't bring anything, don't worry. It's all good. It's an opportunity to receive grace. We just hope there's enough grace for everybody. You know, here's the deal. <clears throat> In Jesus, there's always an abundance. <laughs> In Thanksgiving snack, not so much. But here's the deal. Um, Give your share. And the Apostle Paul, he's talking in the same way that we're gathered together. The church in Rome is gathered. And he's talking about the church gathered together. You're contributing. You're all giving your share to care for one another and to cultivate a space of hospitality that when people join you, you're ready to care for one another. It's this communal reality. And of course it has individual application. But once again today, we're talking about us as a church together. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And I'm going to tell you something I hope is an encouraging word for us as a church. Just this last year, we as a church gave $67,146.15 to care for the benevolence needs within our church community across five campuses. That means we help pay for rent, groceries, counseling, and so on to care for the needs within our community, and some who are without but came to a church service and asked for some various support. That's $67,000 to care for the needs of the saints, Christians, gathered together. That's only possible when we do that together. Now, on top of that, this next year, we have budgeted nearly $950,000 to give away to institutions, to organizations, to leadership development that eventually goes out of Christ's community. $950,000 to support various organizations that are often under-resourced and overextended in our city. $950,000, and what that means is this. That means you're supporting children and immigrants through Mission Adelante. A portion of our tithes and offering goes as a blank check, not a blank check, but a check without any strings that says, hey, we believe in what you're doing. We think you're good at leading. Here is this to offset some of your bills. We actually doubled that this last year. That means that $950,000, which comes out of our tithes and offerings, goes to education and providing better education at Crossroads Academy here downtown in a place that has been riddled with broken educational systems. That means your money goes to help supporting affordable housing through Westside Housing. That means your money goes to help cultivating the arts through the Culture House and even through our four-chapter gallery. That means your money has gone through helping families through Care Portal. And on and on the list could go. And the ways in which your tithes and offerings has been going out and not just impacting downtown Kansas City, but far beyond. And supporting discipleship, pastoral training, benevolence, evangelism, and social justice efforts in Rwanda, in China, in Germany, in Kenya, in Iran. 
And then in caring for our pastoral residents, who we send out to care for the church across the nation, as well as marketplace leaders to have a transformed imagination of how faith and work integrate. All of this is going to send out to give ourselves away to our neighborhood, city, and world. That's because of your generosity, contributing to the needs of the saints, and cultivating a place of hospitality. Once again, that has intimate relevance for us individually and inviting each other into each other's homes and into each other's lives, but even for us as a church and cultivating this place, this community, to be a hospitable church. A place where people, skeptics, can ask difficult questions. People who are wrestling through same-sex attraction or have another difficulty in which they're wrestling through. People who feel like they have no home, who feel utterly lonely, can walk in the door, grab a cup of coffee, make themselves at home, and feel loved, cared for, engaged. And frankly, one of the things I love about Christ community, we're not a perfect church. Nobody's ever going to say that. Um, Definitely not me. Uh, But one of the things I love is that we're spread out across Kansas City. There are different models to doing church, and I'm not throwing shade or casting shade on anybody, all right, or any church. But one of the things that I delight in is that we haven't built one central location in which we ask everybody across Kansas City to drive to, but we seek to multiply these various homes of hospitality in various communities so that our hospitality can be proximate and relevant in the communities in which we find ourselves. And what it makes me think of is the story of Vanessa. Vanessa, who, if you were at our baptism celebration just a couple weeks ago, She may never have come to know Jesus. She definitely never would have went to Christ's community if Christ's community's Olathe campus wasn't right there basically in her backyard. But through her engagement through the church, experiencing the hospitality of that church family, that extension of our Christ community family, she came to know Jesus and surrendered her life to Christ, saying, listen, I was full of arrogance, and in my humility, I finally embraced Jesus, and now I know a deeper joy and confidence than I once thought possible. Because of cultivating these spaces of hospitality. It's also why we bought a building in Shawnee and why we bought a new building here downtown. And we will be moving in this next year. Because we want to be a place where when parents come in and they have their kids, we don't have to send them down an alley with really capable workers who are background checked that are exceptional. (laughs) But that's still, as you know, a parent with three kids, that's stressful. It's like, hey, I just came here and you're taking my kids to a different building. That's not hospitable. That doesn't cultivate necessarily relationship, intimacy, and trust right off the bat. It takes a lot of buy-in. We'd love to provide a space that's more hospitable, that actually has kids' space that's more robust, which we're working on. We, w- we want to cultivate a space where on the second floor we're going to have um, artist studios. Or we can cultivate and actually do generative artwork in our space and actually empower artists to do the brilliant work that they do and intersect with their faith and be a catalyst for that. We want to be a place that has entrepreneurial hubs for minority entrepreneurs and under-resourced entrepreneurs who can get now the right footing into the marketplace. It's so much more. We just want to have enough seats for everybody some Sundays. So people don't have to lean against the back wall. All of that is a cultivation of a particular place that's hospitable. And in this place and amongst this people, we can now combat loneliness 
because we have the avenues to engage each other relationship, each other relationally. And listen, it's not, that's not the sum total. There's so much more. But when you give to your church, you're not only obeying God's word, you're coming alongside of Jesus and his mission and providing a hospitable place, contributing to the needs of the saints and seeking to be a place that loves like Jesus loves. And we can't do that alone. It's only really possible when we do it together because remember, what did Jesus say? All people are going to know you're my disciples by how you love yourself. No! Or how you love by yourself other people. No, how you love one another. And when that happens, it becomes a catalyst to point people to Jesus, the one who does lean into the deep recesses of our loneliness, allows for acceptance with God first, and then cultivates a place and empowers a place to combat loneliness with one another. That's what Jesus longs for for us. And I think that's one of the greatest needs in our culture today as we push back against loneliness is we got to lean further into Jesus. As the Apostle John says in 1 John, since God's loved us, we love one another. It's got to start with his love, embracing it so that it overflows out because Jesus is the one who struggled on the cross because of his love for us. He's the one who came to serve, not to be served. He's the one while on the cross is praying for the people who are crucifying him. He's the one who gave everything, not just a part, not just my Saturdays. Not, no, his whole life on the cross, that we might know him and his love. This is the church of people who follow Jesus in that, in cultivating a community where we can connect one with another, where we can be vulnerable, where we can be committed and pray and serve and give for his purposes, for our good our world is desperate for what we ought to be best at let's love